0: Ephesians 3, God's marvellous plan for the Gentiles. For this reason, I, poor the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the admission of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelations. Re- Revelation as I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promised in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the God's, Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, And to make plain to everyone the admission of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his internal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. A prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name.
1: No idea. Yes that <laughs> <It> worked. <laughs> Today is the best day of our lives. Because Springboks won the Rugby World Cup in Japan last night. No. Because if you believe in Jesus, you're a child of God whom he loves to the cross and back. You're chosen for a purpose, purpose to bring God's mercy and grace and kingdom into this world. And no matter how bad your week was or how wrong things went as you sit here today, your hope for a future that is full, that is complete, that is bright, is secure. That's who you are. That's what makes today a great day. Makes it an excellent day. I'm Etienne. That's the message that we kind of have put out over the last two weeks as we work through this series in Ephesians. And today we move into chapter three of that, that part of the Bible. It's um, a large chapter. Zaria did an excellent job reading that to us. I want to. Apologize that as you read through Ephesians, perhaps on your own, you will pick up that there are a lot of things that I'm not going into <laughs> and, and, and that I'm not exploring. And I'm sorry if, I'm, if you're left with questions, please talk to me if I haven't addressed them here. Uh, yeah, I just want to disclaim that and park that there. I'm going to pick out some things that I think are very important for who we are, as Christians, but I'm going to leave some things alone, just purely because I don't have the time. Okay. Everyone ready? Cool. Let's go. Here's a question I put out by email to all of you during the week. What are some reasons that some Christians, particularly new or even non-Christians, people who aren't Christians, what are some of the reasons that they feel spiritually unequal to other Christians? Okay? Here's one answer from a very small child whose parent put the question... To the child in this way. What is something that might make you feel like you aren't as good of a Christian as I am? That's what the parent asked. Here's what the child said. It's deeply profound. Because you have more goodness than me. Think about it. Because you have more goodness than me. Out of 22 responses, in fact, 23 as of this morning, that featured in almost every single one of them. New Christians, Christians who aren't here, of whom I got a fair few responses, and their responses were probably the most insightful, almost exclusively say, when I come into the church, I feel there are a lot of people who are just doing a lot more good than I am and than I have done. And, and you know, it kind of makes me feel um, that I'm just not as good a person. <laughs> uh, I know I'm welcome and, and I have a place here, but I, I don't feel as good as them. I, I don't think the people who do the good are intending for that to happen, and almost everyone said that. But the perception is there. That's it's a barrier. Um, I don't feel as good. I feel unequal in that. Another one, number two. New, this is a quote from someone, or potential Christians don't feel equal to longer-lasting Christians because those who have been in the faith longer have an overwhelming knowledge of Bible stories, quotes, books, Bible verses, and passages that new and potential Christians doesn't have so they feel inadequate or insufficient compared to others. You know, I just don't know how to find my way in a Bible. Didn't grow up with it, aren't used to it, don't know the stories, not part of my worldview, it's, it's hard. I feel lesser when I go to a Bible study group. Uh, we're not even talking about prayer. Again, I don't think Christians intend for that, but that is the perception, right? One last one. Quite a number of responses. Um, my past. You know, a, a, a lot of people come in with, with pasts. Broken pasts. Past sins even. failure. And as they look down the aisle and the perception is there that everyone here has it all together. I'm the one whose life is a mess and, and I, I can never quite be like them or like him or she or them. There's, there's, I'm always a little bit not quite equal. Um, thank you so much for your responses, Pathway. You know, what I loved about this is that uh, someone said to me recently, uh, a, a fellow pastor talked about preaching and, and, and he's, he's, a, he's about to retire. And I asked him, you know, do you still uh, find it hard? Um, what have you learned about preaching and teaching? And he said to me, at my age I've discovered too late that preaching is best done when you do it as a team and when you do it together. And, and, and you <laughs> have written this message to a great degree, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. You've made me think and reach into places that I could not have and would not have had I not asked. So so thank you very much. Spiritual inequality in the church. This is now the issue that I think we're sort of dealing with. I don't actually know if spiritual inequality is actually a term. I think I came up with it during the week. I think that's what we're talking about, the, the, the feeling that people are spirit, spiritually or as Christians or as children of God, not equal to each other. Okay, that's the issue. And then now what does, what does Ephesians have to say about that to us this morning? Here's what I'll pick out. Uh, you know, I'm not going to read these verses, but Paul, the guy who writes this letter of Ephesians, says, God has given me a job to do. Me and other apostles, these are the people, apostles, for those who don't know, are people who knew the historical Jesus, who had to do with him, who had connections with him. They they saw him. They, They have an authentic word in the setting up of the church. Okay, and Paul says, God has given me, the other apostles and prophets, a job to do in this area, and here's the job. We are going to tell the whole church, there is no such thing as spiritual inequality. Here's the mystery. It's called the mystery in this, in this passage that, that through the gospel, the Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people in this context, new Christians or potential new Christians, they are heirs together with Israel, who are old established Christians, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. There is no spiritual inequality in the church of Jesus Christ. Jewish Christians, in the context of Ephesians, I'll just quickly deal with this, you might say, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you'd say, hey, hang on, Jewish people always were okay to welcome non-Jewish people into the the gathering of God in the Old Testament. In the temple, you know, there was a section in that building where non-Jewish people could worship God, and, you know, they've always welcomed them in, even in the New Testament, in the church. Jewish people were quite okay to have non-Jewish people join the churches and be members. Yes, but what was new to them was that these non-Jewish people were absolutely equal to them. Absolutely equal. Just by virtue of the faith that they, the fact, sorry, that they believed in who Jesus was, meant that they could come in and they possessed a status the same as every other Christian, every other Jewish, person throughout eternity. They had that. They could walk in, in temple language. Sorry if I make this hard to understand. They could walk straight through every temple court. In fact, they could go into where Jews could not even go into the Holy of Holies in the blood of Christ. They were equal. Spiritually equal and they had a hard time with this. Jewish Christians. Here's what it means for us I think. If you're a Gentile Christian, new to church, new to the faith, (laughs) now one of the things you're going to be tempted to do when you walk into a church is to compare yourself with others. Someone pointed that out in their email to me this week, and I think that person's right. It's in our human nature to compare myself to other people. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it. You know who it is that wants you to compare yourself with other people? It's not God. It's Satan. He, he wants you to see the happily married woman with her lovely children and think, "Gee, she's got it together. My life is so much less than hers. I've messed it up so badly. He wants you to think, you know, I can't really go to that Bible study group. I don't have anything to say. Especially when they all pray in the end. I can't pray. Like them. So I'll just not go. So, what do you want you to think? He wants you to think they do so much good for other people. They spend so much time on church stuff. I can't possibly be like that. I'm not even sure I want to. Surely I'm not equal to them, it's a lie. So <laughs> Paul says, my job is, is to tell that you, us here today, that it's, it's a lie. Well, yes, you, you may still have a lot to learn, a lot to grow in the Christian faith. The fact is you are still a child of exact equal value to every single other child, even the oldest and most mature one. You know, I don't see my younger child as of any less value than my older child, even though my younger child sure is a lot less mature than my older child, of no less value and no less equal. Okay, so that's important. You Please get that if you're new or if you're, if you're honest with yourself, struggling, thinking that you're spiritually unequal to other Christians. Okay, for the Jewish Christians, the established old Christians among us, Right? Two things. Number one, there are some things we intentionally do as a church. I couldn't really think of any, but um, there would be some that we must stop doing. Things that cause this perception of inequality. You know, we need to think how we do things. And Ryan, I love what you did this morning. You know, just really talking about singing. Why do we sing? Old established Christians, we assume everyone knows why we sing. They don't. You helped us. Intentionally. Proactively, uh, breaking down those barriers. So those are th- some things we can do. Other things, I think, are just things we need to intent, uh, sorry, be mindful of and, and see how we can not create this unintentional perception of inequality. You know, for example, I, let's take myself for example. You know, I, I'm, I'm up here on stage. I'm somewhat, somewhat elevated. I can look down on you. <laughs> You know, and a and, and a new person comes in or a a, a new Christian and, and there's the guy who's up on the stage, he's somewhat a bit above the rest, you know, and when he walks it sort of sounds a bit a bit authority, a bit a but up, he has a loud voice, he uh, you know, knows Greek and all those sorts of things. Surely surely I'm not equal to him, right? thing and the gospel, Paul says, is this <laughs> if you've prayed a simple prayer as late as yesterday for the first time in your life and said Jesus, I believe in you I'm a child of yours then of this very moment, Paul says you know, there's you and the guy up on the stage are equal same level in, in fact you're you're this level in fact it's more than that the guy up on the stage Jesus says is is this is this level he's he's the one washing your feet <laughs> that's that's how the church works <laughs> that's how spiritual equality in the church works and that's who you are and that's who we are as a church what god is making in the church is exquisitely beautiful there is an equality and a love and an embrace that exists here that exists nowhere else in the world. And the prayer here is simply that we we become that church. We are that church. Both in perception as well as in actual belief. Who are you, Pathway? Let me return to my position of superiority, and then I'll carry on. Who are you? <laughs> You're spiritually equal. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who you are. There's no inequality, there's no preference. God loves all equally. Okay, why is this important? Why should we know this? And why should this be a deep part of us? Well, I'll do this very quickly for a number of reasons. First, it sucks for the person who feels unequal. Number two, Someone who doesn't feel equal or good enough is not going to participate. They're not going to give. I don't know how many times I've said this lately in pastoral conversations, speaking to broken people with broken past and saying, you know what, you have something that inspires me. You have something that I do not have. You have something that I need. You have something that we all need. And for as long as you don't see yourself as a child of God, spiritually equal, you will not offer it and we lose out, our community is stronger, we are weaker. So we need it for that. We need to understand ourselves in that light as part of this community. That's number one. But that's at a human level. Paul goes deeper, he says, why should we know that Jews and Gentiles are heirs together, sharers together, members together, spiritually equal? Uh, Here's why. Because God's intent was that through this kind of church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. A church united, spiritually, equally, loving each other, washing each other's feet, does something in the cosmos. It sounds out to Satan that God is awesome, God is the boss, God is the ruler. That's what it does. It does something in in the spiritual realm that God has intended. And that's why we do it, not just because it's pragmatically helpful when we pray for unity. We do it because it's a spiritual thing. God's way of saying to Satan that he rules. You think you can divide my children? You think you can break them up? I'll show you. I'll bring them together. And I'll make them equal. It's very powerful. All right. Let's move on. I'm going to move to a close very soon. You're doing very well. Who are you? You're a group of spiritually equal, chosen for a purpose, exquisitely loved children of God with a secure hope of a certain future. Here's my question as I move to a close Do you know this? Are you experiencing it? It's a question I asked on week one. I'm gonna ask it again because Paul asks it again. Are you experiencing who you are in Christ? Does it change your day-to-day life? Has it touched you emotionally, spiritually, intellectually? Are you experiencing who you are in Christ. You might say, well, why, why bring this up here? Why is this even a thing in the sermon? I'm indebted to a preacher called Tim Keller for what I'm going to share with you next. Here's what Paul says. He says, I pray that out of God's glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does he have in mind when he's asking God to strengthen the Ephesian Christians that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith? What is the sort of experience that he's hoping they will have? The interesting thing is, he's talking to Christians. When he's asking that Christ will dwell in their hearts, he's not asking for their salvation. They already have Christ in their hearts. They are already children of God, saved. So whatever he has in mind of Christ dwelling in their hearts is is something separate to that, right? He wants something more for them, something different, something deeper. And and here's what I think he's asking. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. To grasp. That's the the guts of what he's asking for. to, To grasp how wide, how high, how long, how deep is the love of Christ. That word grasp, the Greek word is, sorry for using Greek, do you know what its root meaning is? To ambush. <laughs> In First Thessalonians, uh, the word is used where it talks about judgment day, that when the judgment of God comes, it's going to cut a lambano. It's, it's going to be like an ambush. There's two things about an ambush that we've got to notice. An ambush is always surprising you, And it always has you under its control. You're out of control. You're overwhelmed when you're ambushed. You're surprised and overwhelmed. Lord God, I ask that you will ambush their hearts with your love in a way that surprises them and in a way that overwhelms them in a way that renders them out of control. <laughs> How beautiful is that? Overwhelm them with your love. Every time the Bible talks about a, a sense or an experience of, of, of God's love, it, it goes into sensory language. Job says, my ears have heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. The psalmist says, look, my, your word tastes sweeter than honey. It's not talking about eating a Bible. It's talking about an experience an encounter with Christ. Ephesians 1, let the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And here, in your inner being, Paul prays that you may be strengthened to grasp, to touch the love of God. Why is it important that we experience the love of God not just in our heads, but also in our hearts. Isn't this just for charismatic or intellectually weak people who thrive on emotions? You know, you'd say, oh, I'm love i I'm a reasonable person, I need to think this out. This, this, this stuff about emotion, about experiencing Christ, is, is not for me. I, you know, why is it important? Well, uh, firstly, it's in the Bible, but secondly, I'll give you a second great experience. Uh, by the way, we can never separate emotion and reason. The Bible never does that. We do that as humans. We say some Christians are intellectually weak, they're driven by their emotions, and they, they aren't smart, they know nothing. And other Christians say about others, they never are open to experiences in Christ, to experience God's love. Uh, they're all only ever about head knowledge. The Bible never makes those distinctions, it, it puts it together. It says information will become sensation and experience, okay? Why is it important? Here's an illustration. There are a lot of people here who have had horrible things done and said to them in their past. Now, you may remember, for example, this is hypothetical. You may say to yourself, I remember what my ex said to me on the 24th of October 1997, about what I'm like, about the type of parent I am. I remember where I was, I remember what I read in the email, I remember it exactly. Twenty-two years later, the knowledge, what I knew about what that person said, is still real in my experience. Right. It's never just knowledge, it's never just facts or informations that we know in our head and we can discard and it says it never affects us, it never controls us, it never dictates how we live, that sort of stuff. Never. In a sense, that information about what that person said ambushes you. <laughs> again and again. And again, and again, it surprises you at times where you didn't even think it would, and it controls you. And here Paul prays that, I wish that the love that God has for you in Christ, what he said about who you are, I wish that that would ambush you. I wish that that would be the information that becomes sensation. That that would be something that you just not know about in theory, but (laughs) breaks into your experience. Colors how you think about yourself. That you'd be surprised by that constantly. That you'd be constantly controlled by it, rather than by whatever else someone else has said to you about who you are. That's the prayer. And, and, And church, that... How good is the gospel? How good is that God, what God seeks to do in your life is that deep, is that powerful, is that releasing, is that freeing? That, Paul says, is what I'm praying for. I pray that the love that God has for you in Christ will ambush you, that the information of the gospel will become sensation in how you Feel what your experience of life is every day, constantly ambushed by it. All right, finish up. How do I get there? How does this become real for me? Not in theory, but real time. Number one, I'll do this very quickly. God's got to give it. You can't ambush yourself with God's love. It's his love. And we ask him to. Lord God, I want the information about the gospel to become sensation in my heart and life. I want to hear your voice over the other's voice. Give it to me, please. He will. Because it's what he loves doing. Okay, Ask for it. He's going to give it. We ask him to give it. Number two, understand Jesus Christ. I won't say a lot here, but... You know, what God wants to give you is the love of Jesus Christ, that you are loved at such a cost. Uh, think about the cross. Think about the breadth of the cross, the length of the cross, that God knew before you were born he was going to die for you, and that that will last forever for eternity. Think about the depth of the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How deep he went for you. Think about the height of the cross. One day, we'll be lifted up, seated at the right hand of God with Christ. The hope that it gives. You know, the more we meditate, the more we understand, the the deeper our appreciation for the cross becomes. Eventually, the greater our experience of God in our lives is going to become. That's what we do. We've got to understand Jesus. We've got to understand the cross. Thirdly, meditation and prayer. I'm not going to say a whole heap of you. Know? I'm not talking about Eastern practices of meditation. Christian meditation simply means to study the truth of God in the presence of God. To simply come to, to the Bible and say, Lord God, if I understood the truth of what you say here in my inner being, how would it change my life? how would I be different? What would I think differently about who I am? One out of five, two out of five, three out of five times, you're going to encounter something. You're going to experience something. You're going to get it. We meditate on the word, on the truths, And lastly, community. We don't grasp the height, length, breadth and width of the love of Christ alone. We do it together. That's so, why well, it's great to be part of a church. All right, let me finish. The last two verses just says this. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us, to him be the glory. Ooh. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That finishes Ephesians chapter three. Chapters one to three is a block. It dealt with the grand vision of who God is, of who you are. It is very deep, very heavy, if you like. The last three chapters, which we'll get back to after church camp, deals a lot with okay, what does this mean now? What does this mean for how husbands treat wives? How wives treat husbands? How do I deal with my singleness? How do I deal with my parents? Uh, My kids? Kids, how do I deal with my parents? How do I deal with my boss? Boss, how do I deal with my employees? How do we deal with spiritual evil in our lives, in spiritual warfare? That's what we'll get to when we go to chapter 4, 5 and 6. All right, let me pray for us. Thank you, Jesus, for Ephesians chapter 3. And I just pray this morning that As we sit here, and as it's perhaps clear in the minds of many people here, how hurtful things in the past have been said, how the voices of failures or perceived failures in the past are there, how we still don't feel equal to other Christians, I pray that the answer to that that you've given us in the love of Jesus will become stronger, more powerful, (laughs) increased in our experience, and that it will drown out all else. Let us be so ambushed by the love that you had for us in Christ that we can deal with anything, at any level. Make that real, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. As the musicians come on up, uh, you can come on up, guys. I just invite after the service, Ryan will extend the invitation. If you want to pray for something specific, today's on Earth, stuff in your own past that you want to wrestle with, and you want to name it, to me or to Ryan or to anyone, please um, come up afterwards. We'd love to pray with you.
0: OK.